All right, we are to the point of, in our timeline, things to come. Uh, we, have, we have examined the tribulation. We've examined what goes on for believers during that time, the marriage supper of the Lamb and the judgment seat of Christ. We looked at the millennial reign following the battle of Armageddon and how Christ will rule and reign perfectly. We saw Satan will be loosed for a brief period of time to deceive the nations. And then uh, the Lord will say that's it and he'll be cast into his eternal judgment along with the beast and false prophet and the great white throne judgment for all unbelievers uh, will be held and the, the determination of the degree of their judgment is established and they are cast into hell at that point in time. And last week we just studied what is hell really like? What does the Bible say hell really is like? But on the other hand, the Bible talks about our eternal state. What, not, just, not just heaven, but uh, next week we're going to look at the new city, the new Jerusalem, and then God's final message. So we have two more weeks in this study following tonight. But tonight we're going to look at the eternal state. So in Revelation chapter 21, I'll read the first eight verses here. And we'll see what the Lord has for us. The Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall uh, there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my people. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Now, as we get into this study, as a fundamentalist, as, as a conservative uh, person examining the scriptures, our basic approach to the scriptures is a literal hermeneutic, a historical, grammatical, but literal. Now, not every passage is literal, and, and th that is revealed to us. 
But if there's any time when people really get off the rails in their examination of scripture, it's when they don't understand something and so they start hypothesizing what that might be. Let's look at the passage and examine what does it say and just let the word speak to us literally and truthfully. And so John, the beloved apostle, we studied him in Sunday school last Sunday, exiled to Patmos uh, in, in a, uh, a judgment. They didn't cut off his head. They just sent him out there to die. Sort of a prison sentence as an elderly man sleeping in caves and so on, trying to survive. God gives him the, the Holy Spirit, directs him to write this revelation of Jesus Christ. And he reveals to us here in John 21 what God gave him to see, what he examined, and what he heard. And that's how we're going to look at this. What did John see? Well, first of all, verse number one, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Just a couple of very simple thoughts. This is something new. It is a new heaven and a new earth. So God's original creation, Genesis 1-1, as God spoke this world, the Lord Jesus spoke this world into existence, will pass away. It will perish. That's the idea of that phrase. It passes away. Now that does not mean it's going to be uh, you know, exterminated, it's going to be annihilated. Uh, keep your finger here and turn back to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number 3. I'll begin reading in verse number 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heaven will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness." So this word new is not only speaking as to new in time, but as to new in kind or new in quality. So it's a new heaven and it's a new earth. 
And he goes on to say the old heaven and the old earth will pass away. As I said, they're not annihilated. They'll be purged. They'll be regenerated because the old heaven, the old earth has been uh, defiled by Satan and uh, the sin that came into the world. And so God will make them new. So he says, I saw this happen, a new heaven, a new earth. But thirdly, he says, there will be no more sea. Now, exactly what that's talking about, I'm not certain, but I do know this. It's emphasizing the newness of the existence uh, and the newness of the system. There's a water system now where the world is constantly renewed and that which is evaporated becomes precipitation and that's how God keeps the ecosystem going along. That's part of it. But the old order of things will be gone and there's a complete change in the climate and in the systems that God instituted to support this present world. So it's a new heaven and a new earth. He said, the old heaven and the old earth will pass away. And then he said, there'll be no more sea. And the emphasis is what you know will not be. What you've experienced will pass away. It will be all new. And just as God spoke it into uh, existence in uh, the uh, creation, he will do the same at that time. Exodus chapter 20, we know as the giving of the Ten Commandments. But in verse number 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Similar to the wording of the end of Genesis chapter 1, God put this all in existence. God established it all. Now in that day that is yet to come, God will make all things new. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. But then in verse number two, he says that he saw the new Jerusalem. And I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now we're going to be looking at the new city next week in a little more detail, but just like the new heaven is literal and the new earth is literal and the fact that there's no sea is literal, this new Jerusalem is literal as well. And again, I say that because so many in their study of the revelation try to spiritualize everything and make everything symbolic of something else. And then your Bible interpretation is only as consistent as the imagination of the interpreter. It's not based on the word of God. Now keep your finger here and turn to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Notice verse number 22. 
says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And, and though there are many things mentioned here, I'm just drawing your attention that the inhabitants of this new Jerusalem are identified as the church of the newborn. The city itself is not identified in that way. So here in Revelation 21, verse number two, John describes the inhabitants of this new Jerusalem. Notice what he said, as a bride adorned for her husband. Well, in the present day, all believers who are part of the body of Christ are looking forward to the rapture. Christ is coming as our groom. We are gathered to him as his bride. And we're to be without spot and wrinkle or any such thing, Ephesians 5 and other passages teach us. So there's sort of a consistent analogy here to where all the believers are then called the bride or the church of the firstborn as a bride adorned for her husband. So however God enabled John to see this, he was able to see this city coming down out of heaven uh, with some kind of a relationship with this earth, but we don't know exactly what that is. We could conjecture, but the Bible doesn't say. Now next week we'll notice the emphasis from verses 9 down through the end of this chapter is on the city. And just to show you that uh, that's true in verse number 10, he's describing the great city descending out of heaven from God. Verse 12, the wall of the city with the 12 gates. Uh, verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Verse 16, the city is square. It lieth four square, or it's a cube, or in a cubic shape. Some have suggested maybe a pyramid, but the Bible doesn't say that. That's just conjecture. Uh, verse 19 talks about the foundations of the wall of the city. Verse 23, how the city has no need of the sun. So the new uh, heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new city Jerusalem is thoroughly dealt with. And that's what we'll discuss next week. But thirdly, then John said, not only did he see a new heaven and a new earth, verse 1. Verse 2, uh, he saw this holy city, New Jerusalem. Verse number three, John heard something. What did he hear? Well, he heard the voice of God. It says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So this verse is describing the new conditions, uh, the result of the changes from the old condition or the old situation to the new situation. And in verse number three, he talks about 
now we get to experience the blessing of God's presence. The tabernacle of God is with men. Well, the word tabernacle is talking about residence or the habitation, a place where you sink your roots. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve in perfect and open fellowship every day. God would appear, they would walk, they would talk. I, I, I've, I've tried to think what that would be like. Uh, that's an amazing uh, reality. There's only a few people that the Bible clearly talks about them walking with God. Enoch being one, he walked with God and was not, for God took him and so on. Noah walked with God and found, and found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's a wonderful study through the scriptures. But here it says we get to do this. This is our habitation. Uh, Adam and Eve, that relationship was severed by sin, but there will be no more sin. And so we have the delight of the constant presence of God. You know, the truth is we fail God often and sometimes we just don't want to talk to God because we know we've done wrong. We know we're not right. Uh, a friend of mine posted the other day, uh, the fear of the Lord is not the fear of God's judgment. It's the fear of losing the blessing of God's presence. I thought, man, what a wonderful perspective. That we develop the fear of the Lord where we, we so want to be him, with him, we don't want to be separated from him. And so notice the emphasis on this relationship. The second half of the verse, it says, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. No longer... Old Testament saints have to go through the priest to offer their sacrifice. We, we have the presence. There's no mediator between uh, God and man, but the man Christ Jesus. But in that day, we get to walk with him as face to face. The unsaved face the eternity. Last week, one of the statements that came out of our study on the reality of hell is one of the awful things is that they will never have the presence of God. They, they're absent from God. That's part of their judgment without hope, without Christ. Whereas one of the blessings for those who are saved is to be in the presence of God. So the greatest condition of the lost is the greatest joy for a believer. And in eternity, we who are saved are finally free from the presence of sin so that we are able to freely enjoy the presence and the fellowship of God without any hindrance, nothing to separate us, nothing to hinder our communication. It is when we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord won't hear us, but that won't be the case for all eternity. So we see, we get to the blessing of God's presence. But notice verses four and five. Not only do we have the blessing of God's presence, but we have the experience of that forever. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, 
nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. There's a great line, to, uh, a great phrase to underline. Verse 5, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, right, for these words are true and faithful. God will wipe away all tears, literally each and every tear. No more death. We won't have to talk about a funeral, a viewing. No more sorrow, mourning, sadness. No more crying. That's a strong word, more of an outcry, as sort of a shock response to that which is tragic. No more pain. No more trouble. No more loss, no hospitals, no doctor appointments, no broken hearts, no broken bodies, no broken relationships. He says, I will make all things new. Former things are passed away. What an amazing, what an amazing few verses. Because our lives are touched all the time by death, by sorrow, by tears, by pain, by all of these things. And they will be gone forever. Never again. Never again. And then he says, thirdly, not only will the experiences of our life be forever changed, but our eternal experiences will be made new. Notice verses six and seven. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh, shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. In Revelation chapter one, he said, uh, I didn't write down the reference so I'm having to glance. Verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last and what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Down uh, verse number 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write the things that thou hast seen. And the things that are. And the things which shall be hereafter. Once again, he is telling us that he is the beginning and the ending. Never had a start never has an ending. So what is he saying here about this eternal experience being all new? Well, first of all, he says we will have full satisfaction. Verse six, him that is a thirst, uh, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. In John chapter four, Jesus promised that when we 
go and receive of the water of life freely, we will never thirst. And that's exactly what he meant. There is no spiritual desire that will go unfulfilled. No desire at all. The satisfaction, our hearts will be totally satisfied in eternity. You'll never say, oh, that, that was pretty good, but it could have been better. It's never a, well, you know, that was okay, but I thought it'd be better than it was. Well, those are our responses to experiences all the time. That will never be the response in eternity. Absolute and complete satisfaction. Nothing lacking. God and God expresses that by the fact that he will meet our need using the analogy that he taught us in John chapter 4. But not only will we have full satisfaction, we'll have full responsibility. Verse 7, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. Well, inheritance goes to a son, John 1.12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so we'll have assignments, we'll have responsibility, and we'll have opportunity to fulfill that responsibility because of our inheritance in Christ. But then thirdly, he says, we'll have full fellowship. Verse seven, he says, I will be his God and he shall be my son. I will be his God and he shall be my son. No doubts, no hindrances. The relationship is in its full completed state and full fellowship. And it will be a fellowship beyond anything you've ever experienced. You know, sometimes uh, I'm like anybody else. My Bible reading is, oh, it's okay. It's never a problem with the Bible. It's always a problem with me. There are other times when I have my devotions and I go to pray, I feel like somehow I've entered into the very presence of God and God spoke to me in a very special way through his word, not mystically, but through his word, God spoke to me and my prayer time was vibrant and real and, and I felt like I, I was really communing with God, but I'll never have that up and down and it'll always be better than anything I ever experienced on this earth because the fellowship is full and complete with no hindrances. It's interesting to me that at the end of this section, before it goes into talking about the heavenly city, we are reminded of those who are excluded from all of this. The fearful and unbelieving and abominable and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars who have their part in the lake which burneth with fire, uh, fire and brimstone forever and ever, which is the second death. You see, sin has ruined God's creation. And so sin will be excluded from that which is our new identity, our new residence, our new opportunity. And yet God doesn't really tell us the details. It's an interesting thing. You go to study heaven, you're limited in what God tells you. And we wonder, 
Oh, what's heaven going to be like? Yeah, I, I, only thing I can promise you that I'm quite confident of, even though the Bible doesn't say it, is we're not going to be floating around on clouds wearing funny tunics and, strup, and strumming harps. That part I'm pretty confident of. I don't want to see all those hairy legs for eternity, you know. But, but there is something God has for us to do. It's our inheritance. We get to serve him. And it won't be a labor of grief. It won't be a labor of fatigue. It will be a labor of gratitude and thanksgiving for all he's done. It's part of our inheritance. You know, if you, if you know anybody that grew into a farm, they inherited a farm or they inherited, uh, it was going to be the family business. Uh, working in that wasn't, uh, if they had the right heart, it wasn't punching a 40-hour clock. It was, no, this, this is my inheritance. I, I'm, I'm invested in this. The, yes, I get tired, but I, I, I want to see this go forward because this is my inheritance. We'll spiritually just ramp that up. Full fellowship, full serving, full satisfaction for all eternity. What a day that will be. And now the Holy Spirit had John in his mid to upper 90s, writing these words. Can you imagine what was going through his mind as he's recording this? I'm almost there. I, I, I get to see this pretty soon. There was an, a level of anticipation that was growing in his heart. And as you and I look at this tonight, there's just enough information to whet our appetite to say, not, not to give up on this life, not to be so heavenly minded we're no earthly good, but to have that, that concept of this world isn't my home. I am just passing through. I, I, I'm heavenly focused. I'm not, I'm not anchored to this world. Why? Because one day my fellowship with God will never be hindered again. One day it'll be full and complete. Uh, one day I won't be wondering what it's like. I'll find my satisfaction in him. And in that day, I'll be able to serve him with full joy because his plan is perfect. We have full fellowship. I will be his God, he said, and he shall be my son. The eternal state it's not long off for some of us. Jesus could come tonight. That would be true for all of us. And what a day that will be. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that one day there will be no hindrance. There will be no barrier. There will be no hesitation. Because our fellowship with you will be what you created it to be at the very beginning. It was ruined by sin, but it's restored in Christ. We're thankful for the fellowship we can have with you now. We're thankful for the open access you give us. We're thankful for the way you reveal yourself to us in your word. But Lord, one day it'll be wonderful just to walk with you. To spend time with you. Have no hindrance. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us understand while every good thing you give us on this earth is ours to enjoy and it's right to do so, 
to be grateful, to be thankful, to know you as our Savior. One day, even this experience will pale into insignificance because we will know you as you are to be known. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to look forward to that day and yet serve you with all our heart today. We pray again for our church family. You watch over them in the weather and help us to to serve you with joy this week. Give us a great day on Sunday. We pray that you'd work in hearts. We continue to pray for souls to be saved. Lives changed by the power of your word. For it's in your name we ask it. Amen.